Yo, what is up, guys? Welcome back to Tag Team, the Pokemon Trading Card Games premier podcasting duo. My name is Riley Holbert, joined, as always, by my good, good friend, Mr. J.W. Crewall. J.W., how's it going today? Oh, Riley, it's all right. Feeling good? Yeah. Life is, life is good? I, you said it was all right. That's a pretty meager answer. Yeah, no, I'm just, like, in a groove, I guess, you yeah. could say. So, you know, nothing too high, nothing too low. So, sure. It's all right. And, uh, <laughs> you know, arguably good, right? Arguably no, good. No news is good news. So, I suppose so, man. <laughs> I don't know. I'm always like, you know, I'm just like waiting for my next cool thing to happen. You know, your big break. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's but fair. honestly, I've been like just vibing with the whole family life and the baby life and, the work life it's it's been good my wife has been um you know she's been at home she gets a little extra maternity leave uh-huh and so she's been making various food items she's like <laughs> yeah you know you know what do you want because she likes to cook and she likes to bake and things like this and so she's like okay what do you want and so i've been telling her all these different things so today we had we had hot dogs in pretzel buns Wow. Which was very tasty. And then we've had bubble tea Ooh. and we've had Did she various... make the bubble tea like with the tapioca. Oh yeah. We make, we make it. I mean, nice. you don't make the tapioca. You just buy the bubbles, but yeah, oh, you can okay. make everything else. So all you have to do is like boil it. I'm pretty sure. And it like turns into a little bubble. Yeah. We haven't quite got there. We'll just buy the, <laughs> buy the bag sure, of bubbles sure. at the Asian sure. market. And then she's made bread and yeah, we've just been been eating good for sure. Nice. So, how is little Harper? Oh, she's so cute. <laughs> she really is. <laughs> been taking a ton of pictures of her. So, you know, if you ever want to see some, let the me know. Maps. But I don't like to. Yeah. I don't like to force them on anybody, right? So. Right. <laughs> That's fair. I'm not trying to be that dad. You've been on. You've maybe seen the other side of that, and you know, realize that's not for you. <laughs> well, it's just. It's like people who post their registration that they got in for a tournament on Twitter, uh-huh. you know, with without me wanting to know. It's like, I, did I ask for that? No. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, I see where you're going with that for sure. Yeah, we were joking before the cast. Riley made um, kind of a snarky tweet about it was snarky. people that. What's that? It was snarky. Yeah. Yeah, about people that post their, um, you know, their their sign up on uh, on twitter and it was kind of funny because i did that actually <laughs> so you know i i know he was kind of tongue-in-cheek with it but anyway, yeah, i mean the other day it's like an incredibly meaningless thing <laughs> one or the other right well pretty much all of twitter is incredibly meaningless yeah it's kind of a meaningless activity in of itself so it definitely is yeah. why does anything matter in a way <laughs> I, I know that that's a very nihilistic perspective that's true. Yeah, that is literally by definition a nihilistic. <laughs> 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 but there is things, there are things that matter coming up on the horizon. We have multiple brilliant stars regional championships coming up this weekend. I know the people have been asking when can we get more brilliant stars standard events. I'm yes. really rearing to play more brilliant stars premier events. And Pokemon has answered the call. Sakakas Regional Championship, the Lily Regional Championship, 
there's stuff going on if you're a Pokemon lover. <laughs> there absolutely is. And I know that some people are a little more excited than others for this format. But we're going to be here to break down the trends and what you need to be aware of heading into New Jersey. Absolutely. So here at Tag Team, you know, we have our lens colored by the American metagame for sure. Uh, you know, over in Europe, obviously things have slightly varied in kind of the, the fork in the road with the metagame. So we will kind of be taking that American perspective, uh, looking specifically at the Secaucus Regional Championship this weekend. So, JW, let's just dive right into it. We're coming fresh off of Indy just a mere two weekends ago, and the Indianapolis Regional Championship was absolutely dominated by Arceus and Teleon. And Arceus as a whole, like more broadly speaking, made up 24 of the top 32 spots. Another seven were taken up by Max, and the lonely one was by Whimsicott. Arceus and Teleon is clearly a deck to beat, right? Like, is there any debate at all about that being the case? I think it's official. Arceus has usurped Mew as the... Um, I, I hesitate to say best deck in the format, but, like, the... Why do you hesitate? Well, just because I do still think, like, Mew just in in without the context of, like, Path of the Peak and drill and whimsicott <laughs> and all the dark good dark attackers like is still just in a vacuum like the best deck possibly sure. ever created sure um so you know maybe we don't have a best deck in format right now because you know you even can granulate that the arceus builds into you know arceus water arceus bees arceus dark uh, arceus corvanite you know, I mean, it's just Arceus can go with anything, right? So I don't know that I can necessarily say, yes, Arceus, just best deck in format, because it, it really doesn't, you know, it's not a deck. It's like a conglomeration of decks. Can we agree that Arceus is the best card in format? I think we can. And I think there's definitely a case to be made about Arceus being the best card ever created. <laughs> but Absolutely. So let's, you know, let's kind of talk about what's led up to the rise of Arceus because it Arceus certainly had strong showings in the early format, but certainly not to this level of dominance, you know, over if we look way back at, at like Melbourne at the start of the year, you know, that was a very Mew heavy metagame. And of course the metagame responded very hostile to Mew. You know, we look at the Salt Lake city regional championship and the, the Mew hostility was very real Every single deck in that top eight had some sort of dark attacker besides the Suicune deck. And then the meta got to this weird, like, Urshifu war and ultimately circled back to Arceus. You know, why do you think that Arceus has emerged as, like, the card of the format? And why did it take so long for it to settle in that space? Um, It's a good question. I think when we were thinking about Arceus a month ago people were a little more conservative on what an Arceus build meant. Um, you know, straight Arceus, I would say, was kind of the dominant um, form uh, of Arceus. And that, you know, has its own weaknesses just because it's it doesn't have that spice that we always talk about. Uh, and it wasn't particularly, like... It, it took a lot of like very even matchups across the board, right? Like you weren't right. you weren't like housing anything, you know, but you were in every single game. Um, so, you know, then we were able to just see the power of 
the Arceus uh, archetype and just or the card really and see that it can, oh yeah, it can be played with all these different things. And in fact, it makes all these different combos that much better. You know, I think about the Arceus Bs as being something that's be, that was always somewhat around, but has become certainly more mainstream now. Uh, and then you have the Arceus toolbox build, something like Ian Robb's winning list from uh, the Indianapolis Regional Championships, um, you know, that are decks that I would never really expect because of their, you know, intricacy, I guess, compared to just a straight Arceus list. I would never really expect those types of decks to be, um, you know, mainstream early on in a format. But now that, you know, people have played them to good success, we're starting to see more and more players adopt those play styles. So, um, you know, that, that would kind of be the answer for me is like, you're just seeing, Arceus evolve because people are willing to take more risks with the list and willing to, uh, you know, experiment a little bit more. Yeah. I think that's definitely a huge part of it. I also think just we've gotten better at understanding the engines and kind of what these counts look like, even like some of the minutia has like shifted to just be more and more optimized over time. And one thing that I think is interesting in this kind of post COVID era of Pokemon is I feel like the meta gets, I don't know if solved is the right word, but it centralizes a lot faster because you mm-hmm. have, in addition to all the IRL events, which there have been an above average amount of in this format, you also have all of these online things going on, people testing out the decks that are doing well at regionals, you know, making their own choices and refining the list further. Um, and then they end up, you know, because they have so much exposure, they're taking it to the next regional. So the metagame got very narrow very quickly in my opinion because there's all this like additional exposure to the decks that are happening in the online scene that just didn't really exist before you had your locals but you know locals infamously like no one put any stock into those (laughs) right Right. no one cared so it's interesting to see like how the meta game has has shifted and evolved i also i think it's worth calling out i was talking about this with andrew the other day um i almost think the if there's a problem card, it feels like it's done sparse, low key. Well, okay, so yeah, that's that's the other thing too. Is like we we were seeing lists of Arceus that also were, um, you know, not that experimental in the side text that they were playing, right? So like we talk about the Hoopa Dunsparce Manaphy as being, you know, today's kind of Arceus package, and certainly having two of those three, um, you know, in pretty much every Arceus deck right now, certainly Stymies. Um, Rapid Strike Urshifu, for instance, right? Just pretty much nullifies that deck in in a lot of cases. So uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's like, there are just too many tools, arguably, for Arceus to be able to handle anything. And it can like very consistently get those pieces out when it needs them with uh, with Starburst, Starbirth, of course. So interesting piece about Dunsparce too. I was like, we were deep in the rabbit hole and, and I was looking up like, kind of the what's going on with Dunsparce, right? Because it just seemed like such a random card in Fusion Strike. And so it's like, there has to have been a reason that they printed this. Mm-hmm. And is that reason that they are preparing it for Arceus or was there another one? And so I looked at like every Japanese set that was surrounding the Dunsparce, <laughs> like three sets in both directions. And there was like no colorless Pokemon at all in any of those sets. So it seems to me, this is my crackpot theory, it seems to me like Dunsparce was printed with the intent of being used with Arceus, but 
because it was printed in Fusion Strike block, it has like the letter, it has one letter regulation less than Arceus. So theoretically, it'll rotate before Arceus, even mm. though it was designed alongside of it. That's what I think the, that's my theory, at least for what happened there. Okay. Interesting. So, Interesting. Little lore. And so you, you think the game devs probably thought that if they didn't print Dunsparce, that Urshfu would just be the I don't, deck? I don't know if they necessarily thought that, but it feels like they wanted Arceus to kind of be the card. Uh, you know, they wanted it to, to not have to deal with weakness <laughs> and mm. like Charon's Care Loop and things like that. Like clearly all these things were designed in tandem. Um, and... But they also wanted to open up towards the end of its life cycle the ability to hit it for weakness. <laughs> yeah, interesting. That's my theory, a game theory. And so, <laughs> that all aside, there has been some discourse, you know, and I guess not even aside, like kind of leading into this, there's been a lot of discourse about, you know, what Arceus Italian's kind of role and how healthy of a deck it is for the metagame. You have some folks who are very outspoken, like, Arceus is just too broken. You know, being able uh-huh. to pick any two cards is just not balanced. And, um, like, the Inteleon engine, in Arceus at least, you know, is not maybe as skillful as people are rating it to be because sure. the, the card choices in some cases are just so obvious that it's like you're not really making a play there. You're just grabbing the boss's orders type thing. Right, sure. So my question to you is, what are your thoughts kind of on that spectrum? Do you think Arceus was a good force for the metagame? Do you think it was a bad direction for the game? Or do you think it's maybe somewhere in between, like a little bit of A, a little bit of B? Yeah, I'm not super negative about it, but I think the way that the builds, like it seems like we've come to like an end game of Arceus builds, uh, which, you know, you're going to see in any metagame. But um, the problem with Arceus, as I see it, was the same problem that I had with Mew, except one turn later. So the problem that I had with Mew is that, okay, you get a turn one Meloetta, you can knock out anything on your opponent's side of the field on the first turn of the game, right? And that's like a big problem. You get the energy attachment, you get the Elisa Sparkle, you're doing, you know, 210 plus. And that just felt really strong, really oppressive. And, you know, you go back a month and a half and you know we'll be talking about it on the cast right um (laughs) and uh, fast forward to now we have that same problem but instead of that uh occurring on turn one you most often see it occur on turn two with the arceus uh v star and then you know you're evolving and then star birthing for you know zigzagoon and uh and double color or double turbo and then you're going ahead and, and gusting up something on the bench and knocking it out with your choice belted Arceus V star. Um, and that to me feels like the biggest issue because the, just how good Arceus is, you're going to face against a lot of mirrors and the mirror is mostly won by, um, you know, who can get that first attack off, um, who can get that first meaningful knockout. Um, and oftentimes that comes with this, you know, Arceus V star two twenty onto an opponent's Arceus that they're trying to set up. Right. So that to me kind of feels like the problem. Um, you know, like if choice belt wasn't in format, I, I think we're like, okay. Um, but it's just being able to like with the Arceus decks, cut off all these other decks before they can even get started, which feels the like choice the belt issue. comment's interesting. Cause 
I never really thought about that, but I think that actually is an interesting perspective because that is what enables Arceus to like really snowball the games that it goes first oftentimes is grabbing that one of choice belt. It gets it every single time off the start berth. Um you know, you're not gonna whiff it unless it's prize. And take like a big knockout before your opponent can even really respond. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, I think I think I'm kind of like a little bit of A, a little bit of B camp with Arceus. I do think Arceus is maybe like too strong, a little overloaded of a card. Um, mostly Starbirth is just abs- Starbirth rewards the coin flip absurdly hard, in my <laughs> yes. opinion. Like yes. being able to, if you go first and on your second turn you get to grab any two cards while your opponent is still like in the setup phase, <laughs> that's right. like really challenging to deal with. And, you know. I, I'm kind of in the camp where I don't think the Inteleon engine like adds a lot of like meaningful decision making to Arceus. Like there's often like a very clear, correct route. And like, yeah, like good players will choose that route more often than bad players, but you hit like a skill ceiling, so to speak, and it's like, yeah, I'm gonna everyone would go for this route at that point. <laughs> right. Um right. so I think like these Arceus Inteleon decks especially have just like they just reward going first so hard because you go first, you get your Arceus with an energy on it, and uh, turn two, you get like five cards out of your deck that you hand-selected. <laughs> yes. And it's like, yeah, you're probably going to win that game, man. <laughs> like You just selected <laughs> you selected your research right there. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> you know, exactly. it's uh, so, it, you know, it takes a lot of the a lot of the interesting like mid-game decisions out of it in my opinion around like deck thinning and things like that because the disruption is so bad in the format right now like marnie's marnie's like uh you know i'm gonna use an early game and hope you brick kind of card not like a really disruption mm-hmm. if so to speak if that makes sense mm-hmm. um but i at the same time like arceus is at least a two prizer like it forces games to go a little longer um, you know, it actually can compete with Mew, which like basically no deck last format could actually say that. And especially after Ultra Ball was reprinted, no deck can really say that except decks that are explicitly built to counter Mew. Um, so I think that's a net benefit. I think maybe the one thing that would really improve the situation, in my opinion, is if V's and V Maxes and V Stars didn't evolve from two prizers. Mm-hmm. Right? Because I think that's yep. what set offsets the game yep. so much is that Arceus. Yep and Mew both are able to take two prizes like while you're getting your board set up. Right. And, you know, back in the GX era, which is remembered so fondly, which makes it all the weirder that we don't do stuff like this again, you would evolve your big guys from very tiny little guys. <laughs> right. Know? Yeah, they'd go from 60 HP Zeruas to 210 HP Zorarks. And yeah, that was... and people loved that. <laughs> yeah, well, and it makes sense, right? Because it, it leads to less what I call headhunting. Yeah. Where it's like, you know, the headhunting is the the boss, you know, choice belt, zigzagoon knockout, you know, on whatever V that you're trying to set up for the next turn, right? And it's like, if you could only make it to that next turn where you get more HP, when you get the evolution out of the V-Star, then you actually have a chance. Because if they knock into a V-Star, you know, okay, then you at least have a route, right? If an Arceus V-Star knocks into another Arceus V-Star, there's at least a route to like right. finagling energy, to getting another attacker set up, to trying to, you know, Marnie your opponent out of resources. Like there's some route that you have to get going. But, um, you know, just that first big knockout on the Pokemon that you're trying to set up, that's the that's the issue. I 
I agree. Yeah. And so I think that's maybe the root of it is that the V the V stars and the V maxes evolved from already multi-prize Pokemon. So you're just set so far behind. Um, and there's like not really meaningful decision about what you knock out in that way. Right. You know, when you <laughs> played against the Zorak deck, you had to make the choice. Like, do I chase the one prizer on the bench to prevent it from evolving? Or do I hit into the active maybe for a two hit KO and risk them healing it? Right. Whereas the Arceus is like, do I hit into the active to potentially get two prizes next turn if they don't heal it? Or do I just KO the thing on the bench right now? <laughs> right. <laughs> and take for the sure. same two prizes. It's like, yeah, I'm going to probably do the second one, right? <laughs> like, yeah. that seems better. <laughs> so all that aside, like, I think we're kind of both in agreement. We're kind of in the middle of that spectrum. Um, so let's it's talk. Not, it's not, yeah, it's not bad. Sorry, just to kind of like reiterate. It's, it's not bad necessarily i think the game has been in worse places but it does feel a little restrictive because you know it's the same we're talking about the same issues that we were with mew about why mew was really oppressive it's the same kind of idea it really is just just one turn later you know although i get almost more annoyed this is less to do with arceus more to do with inteleon it's like way more annoying for my opponent to search their deck 20 times a turn than to (laughs) to just mew a couple times (laughs) yeah well at least with the mew deck if you're gonna go down hard it's over in you know a couple of minutes if you go down hard against arceus it's gonna take you know 10 deck searches (laughs) over multiple turns so but you know if you play arceus nothing on you and it's like i think it is a net positive in the, at the end i would say because if we can shift away from the uv max era into like two prizers and things like that i think that's ultimately a net positive mm-hmm. um, that'll set we want to take a look at Sakakis. so our goal for today is for you to leave with the top three decks uh, because the metagame has gotten more centralized we won't be doing a top five this week we're going to be focusing on the top three uh and we'll be giving our tag team tip for each one of those three decks so jw why don't you kick us off with number three on our ranking for sakakas absolutely so number three is a deck that i feel like is gaining in popularity or seeing it in uh, get more respect in the online tournaments um it won re uh, special event over in europe and that is of course the Wimscott deck Riley, you piloted it to a top 16 finish yeah. in Indianapolis. The only non-Mew, non-Arceus deck in that top 32. You'll notice I didn't call my name out earlier. <laughs> I was trying well, to be humble. Yeah, stay humble. Stay humble. Maybe I I rescind that <laughs> yeah. I said your name. But um, yeah, you got to look at Whimsicott as being a deck that takes a very favorable Mew matchup and also has on a coin flip. A pretty good Arceus matchup. <laughs> yeah, on a I agree. Right? I, yeah. I mean, seriously, right? If you go first, then that's very good in the Arceus matchup because you're presumably going to be able to get the first, um, you know, attack off and then prevent them from attaching double turbos, which is good because they will usually want to attach uh, basic energies first to avoid being fanned, uh, you know, later in the game. And then if, you know, you happen to go second, then you always have a route to... Um, you know, kind of making up that uh, that difference there of, of going second with the Wimscott deck if you can hit a crushing hammer on the basic energy that the Arceus deck presumably will attach. And if you're able to do that, then you're in a really strong spot. You also have Path of the Peak, of course, to try to slow down both Arceus and Mew. Um, but for the most part, you're taking what I would consider to be 
you know, a very favorable matchup against Mew, and then a slightly favorable matchup against Arceus, depending on the variant. I would say that something like Arceus Bees is a very bad matchup um, versus something like Arceus Dark, which is a relatively good matchup. So coming in at number three for us here on Tag Team is the Whimsicott deck. I think it has a really solid place in the metagame right now. Although there are some issues with Whimsicott, which I'll touch on later in the cast. So first off, what is your tag team tip for Whimsicott? What what should our viewers be keyed into to be successful with Whimsicott? I I don't want to like like brag or or put anyone under the bus but i think frank's list that he won or that he got second with was just not as not as optimized i would say um and that's not like a you know i'm not trying to like dunk on anyone this is not a this is not a negative thing it's just like i think um the zashian was a really big inclusion um i honestly also think that playing you know crobat and luminion is really good because to a certain extent, you don't really care what support Pokemon you have on the bench because you're going for that lock. So the most important thing is getting the lock. It doesn't really matter what support Pokemon you have for the most part, right? Because if you get the lock up against the decks that are good in the format right now, they're not going to be able to get the resources necessary to knock out the bench Pokemon. Um, so, you know, those those are some things like the support Pokemon are, I think, really important for the Wimscott deck. Uh, the the Zashian probably primarily amongst them just lets you get out a couple of energy in the Mew matchup, which is really important and can help you win the mirror too. Yeah, honestly, the the uh, Zashian is good in basically every matchup. Like if you can get that extra energy down early, it saves you a turn of Raihan in the mm-hmm. mid to late game, which is really really impactful. Um, super super good. That's like. I, I enjoyed the most of the changes and i generally agree with this philosophy on the support pokemon just fill your bench with them if it means that you're gonna attack turn two then it's worth it so why would you maybe not play whimsicott then you know what what i maybe for all these decks we'll do why would you not pick it yeah so for whimsicott what we've been seeing um at least in online tournaments has been kind of a shift away from and I guess even in IRL too, honestly, is a shift away from Mew. So you're losing a very favorable matchup. And not only that, you're losing a deck in the metagame that counters a lot of these other decks that Wimscott would have problems with. So the things like Suicune, um, things like Ice Rider, I think primarily, right? (laughs) Where, yeah, the Ice Rider matchup is is among the worst matchups that you can have with the uh, with the Whimscott deck because they can hit 250 for two energy and they can power it up in one turn. So it just makes it really tough going into that matchup. So those kinds of decks, the V, VMAX decks, are handled by Mew, and they were at the start of this format, right? Mew was just kind of rolling through, would love to see an Ice Rider deck. But as the format's gone on, We've seen more and more Mew hate, which has allowed these decks that had, you know, not the best Mew matchups to kind of rise up again. I would, I would agree. Yeah, like those decks are getting, especially in the online space, you're seeing more and more of Ice Rider, especially, which is just a really unfortunate matchup for 
Whimsicott. Uh, thankfully, I was able to dodge it in Indy, but I did hit the Suicune, which is almost <laughs> as bad. <laughs> and they're, honestly, they're both so, so bad that any difference between them is marginal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. true. Um, so those decks having more breathing room is uh, very dangerous for Whimsicott because you're really looking to hit Mew and Arceus. So, I mean, speaking of, let's hit our top two decks, <laughs> Mew and Arceus. Yeah, how crazy, huh? <laughs> so, no surprise, Mew is our number two deck. You know, obviously, JW just mentioned that Mew is declining in its metagame share, which I almost think is a good t- reason to play Mew, because if other people are keyed into that, you'll see less of the stuff that Mew doesn't like and more of the stuff that Mew does like. You know, for the exact counterpoint... <laughs> To what JW just said is if there's yeah. more Ice Riders, Sweet Coon, stuff like that, Mew is feasting. <laughs> it's a it's a beautiful dilemma. Yeah. Right? Do you play Mew because no one else is playing Mew? But you're just you're running into just a field of Arceus decks that are built to handle you. So if you feel confident with your Arceus Bees matchup, your Arceus Dark matchup, you know, sure. You know, because I absolutely and and you're probably not gonna play a ton of mirror. You know, certainly there's much less mirror potential now than there was at the beginning of the format. So, um, you know, does that mean, does all the Mew hate mean that Mew is good again? It's it's the existential question. Yeah, the infamous tournament where good players play Mew, right? The, <laughs> we've been waiting for it since Melbourne. <laughs> and maybe it's finally here, question mark. Um, but in reality, like Mew is a consistently, absurdly strong deck. You have so much agency over how your games go and play out like obviously there's a lot of kind of luck of the draw and like the order that you draw your cards um but no deck can like power through its resources and find a route to win in quite the way that Mew can so tag team tip for Mew: what do you do to be more successful with Mew? uh it's similar to our last tag team tip with Mew, but a little more nuanced and that's be really thoughtful in your fusion energy placements uh, fusion mm. energies are your single most important resource in Mew uh, because getting up to those high damage numbers or using multiple Meloettas is often a key to winning many of your games. Um, there are so many like nuanced turns that you'll find with Mew. And we've referenced before that like you can hit like 70% on Mew pretty easily, but that last 30% is like what actually gets you into top eight and winning tournaments. And a lot of that is honestly fusion energy placements. Uh, so, so if you're looking for like real in-depth tips on that, uh, I would recommend like Azul's coaching, honestly, because uh, he covers this a lot. But uh, some general tips that I can give is fusion energy on Oricorio is really, really good, especially in the mirror, uh, because no one wants to boss an Oricorio just to remove a fusion energy from play. I kind of like sets them behind in the deprive trade, and against Arceus. Like, it's really good to actually throw them onto a Genesect in the early game if they're not <laughs> going to be chasing it and knocking it out. Because it's just a good right. storage warehouse, so to speak. Right. Um, oftentimes with, with Mew, like especially against these Arceus decks that are playing Moltres um, or Beedrill, you want to be able to use two Meloettas. And the way that you do that is you maybe have one Meloetta with two fusions, but the second one has, like, one fusion and a Psychic. Um and you can chain or a double turbo depending on your build and you kind of chain the Meloettas in that way so <laughs> really be thoughtful about your fusion energy placements uh it's okay to put them in places that seem odd or non-traditional they don't always have to go on you and Meloetta and you'll win a lot more games 
once you kind of master the art of finding the right spot for your fusion energy. Solid advice. So we have the, you know, number three deck, number two deck, number nope. one. We didn't hit our reason not to play Mew. Though. Oh, true. Yes. Good point. What is the reason then not to play Mew V Max Riley, in your opinion? I think there's probably two reasons to not play Mew. The first is if you haven't already put a lot of games in with Mew, it's really not worth picking up at this point. Like Mew is so, so hated in the metagame that you have to really be a master at the craft um, to to really have a chance of going anywhere with it in the long run on a tournament. Mm -hmm. Uh, The second reason not to play Mew that's like unrelated to how many games you've played with it is Mew inherently incurs like a lot of variance, um, which you don't necessarily want, especially at like a smaller tournament like Secaucus. Uh, You typically want to just kind of like craft a really consistent strategy uh, as opposed to like a larger tournament. You know, if you're at the Indianapolis regional championship, there's so many people that you kind of just have to high roll anyway. So it makes sense to play a Mew. Whereas Sakakis, it might make sense to play a little bit more of a a deck that doesn't randomly lose like Marnie Path in like 10% of games. It doesn't just Mm. randomly draw like five supporters in hand and instantly brick uh, in some games. So those would be my my two reasons not to play Mew is A, if you haven't practiced it enough, and B, it just incurs a lot of like out of control variants that can lose you games at a small event. So now we can talk about the number one deck. Malamar, yeah. Yeah, Malamar, Rabbit Strike Malamar. Um <laughs> what a twist that would be. <laughs> <laughs> one of the biggest uh anime betrayals of all time um so yeah of course of course arceus is dominating both the in-person tournaments and the online tournaments and for good reason like we've talked about um you know really on this cast and in others it just has so many tools so many options available to it um if i were going to sakakis which i'm not but if i were going and I were to play an Arceus variant, it would be one that had some kind of dark package. I don't know that it necessarily needs to be the like full dark package with the Hoopa and the Crobat VMAX, but um, certainly I think the Galarian Moltres is the best attacker in standard right now, being able to do 220, 270 towards the end of the game and really just get in there. Uh, it's probably the most efficient prize to damage doer Pokemon that we have in the format. Uh, And then you have your Arceus V-Star, which is just a beast. Uh, It, for the most part, isn't going down in one hit um, to a lot of decks. So, you know, the most, I think, efficient kind of energy to uh, number of attacks to damage, like ratio, is (laughs) Arceus V-Star. That's a lot of things to put together in one ratio. (laughs) You can do it. You can do it. Just just fudge the numbers a little bit. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, the most damage to energy to prizes given up, like the, the longest route to make your opponent win yeah. uh, versus the most damage that you deal is, from my perspective in the standard format, Arceus V-Star into a second Arceus V-Star into an, a Galarian Moltres into a Galarian Moltres. Like, that yeah. is kind of the route that you would want to go with any Arceus Dark Package, and that would be the build you know, that would be the the ultimate kind of uh, six prize route if I were to take Arceus to Secaucus that I would want to try to employ. 
Yeah, and Galarian Moltres is honestly so flexible, right? It's not just an attacker against Mew. Like, obviously, it's good against Mew, but you're getting up there in damage numbers. You can really stretch to get some insane knockouts, especially with a combination of, like, Choice Belt or Quick Shooting, uh, Pings. Uh, you just hit such crazy numbers at the end of the game with Moltres. And also, like, even in the early game, you know, as early as the first knockout, you can hail other single prizers. Uh, with your Moltres. So it's just such a versatile, powerful card. I would also definitely look to include that in my Arceus decks heading into Sakakis. Yeah, is there, um, you know, uh, speaking of tips for Arceus, is there is there a tip that you might have for players uh, outside of, you know, maybe what build of Arceus they should bring? Um, I would just focus on consistency over trying to like muck your deck up too much with Arceus. Um, you know, the more straightforward that you can make it, the better in my opinion. And I think, you know, Pablo took that to its logical extreme and played the most consistent Arceus deck you possibly can with only water energy, stuff like that. You, if you don't want to stray all the way that far and still want to play the dark package, I think that's fine. Um, but don't feel the need to cram in like every single tech card, every single V Pokemon, things like that. Just, Play your standard line of stuff, play a healthy amount of ball search, and you know be confident that your deck will win if you execute your strategy. So I have another question, Riley. Yeah. We were talking about Mew and kind of, oh, it's you know, it's the best time to play Mew because it's the worst time to play Mew. And all the people, you know, the rest of the metagame will shift around expecting no Mew uh, to play decks that are weak to Mew. Um, similarly with Arceus, and we talk about not mucking it up, are there any of the tech Pokemon that you feel pretty comfortable excluding from a list if you were playing this weekend? So, uh, you know, we talk about the Dunsparce and the Manaphy um, being, you know, good against, well, Jolteon's not really in the format anymore. So, uh, you know, the case against, you know, Manaphy is, is slightly, you know, less um, strong, I guess. But you also have, you know, the Dunsparce, Dunsparce, Manaphy, really good to counter Urshfu. Do you think that Urshfu is a threat at all? There was none at Indy. We really haven't been seeing it at all in the online sphere. Um, it's been doing, you know, okay in Europe. I mean, you have Tord, obviously, just uh, is a monster. But what are your thoughts on maybe cutting those cards in favor of, you know, like you were saying, some more consistency? I think you can, I think you'd always fit down Sparse just because it's such a broken card, so absurdly strong, like relative to the space it takes to include it. Um, you know, it can also help you in mirrors, stuff like that, that are trying to cheese you with fighting Pokemon. So I would definitely still include Dunsparce. I think Manaphy and Hoopa are potentially on the chopping block, you know, if you're playing one or both of those. I personally would probably still play them. You know, I... Here's my perspective on Urshifu. I think Urshifu has kind of solidified itself as a deck that the average Joe will not play anymore. I talked to a lot of people at Indy, or people just would willingly come up to me and tell me, like, hey, like, Urshifu is just it's too much for me. It's overwhelming. Like, I can't play it at, like, 100% efficiency. And when I play it at 95% efficiency, I lose games that I would have won at 100%. And if people feel like that, and I feel like that is a very shared sentiment, is everyone is saying, like, I haven't put enough time in. I just cannot play Urshifu. So you, where are you going to see Urshifu? You're going to see it at the diehards. You're going to see 
the Tours playing it. Tours obviously not going to the caucus, although he was actually at one point registered, I think. Um, <laughs> you're going to see like the Isaiah Bradners who are considering playing it. You're going to see like the Justin Bukharis yeah. and their friend groups. So the question becomes, you know, how relevant is that to you? And I think it is, if your goal is to go in and win the tournament, that is something you should consider, is you will probably encounter an Isaiah Bradner or friend of Isaiah Bradner at some point in your road to victory on the tournament. If your goal is to, you know, day two the tournament or to just get some points to finish out your world invite, like, maybe that's not a consideration for you. And you're like, yeah, like, Isaiah might play... And I'm singling out Isaiah just because he's played Urshifu. Like, certainly there are other top players who would consider it. Uh, but, like, those top players might play Urshifu, but most people won't. So I don't really care. And I'm just going <laughs> to play my deck. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's a valid perspective. I would still include probably both Dunsparce and Manaphy. I might not include Hoopa. Um, but I, th- I think, sure. like, you can justify both of them without, like, bending over backwards. Especially the yeah, Dunsparce. Dunsparce feels like an auto to me. Sure, because you have Zapdos. You have, yeah. um, I don't know, Lycanroc, I yeah. guess. <laughs> you know, you have just kind of the Urshfu, obviously. Um, so, yeah. Santa that, that makes a lot of sense. In terms of reasons not to play Arceus, I don't actually think there's a reason not to play it. My- I, I, think, I think Arceus is you know, quite strong right now. Um, there's, you know, there's just, in my opinion, no real reason not to play it. And if I were going, that probably would be what I would play. I do agree. The one answer I would give, and it's kind of like a non-answer, but the one answer I would give for like, why not to play Arceus would be, you're going to play a lot of Arceus mirrors. And well, that, okay, And that mirror cool. is very, is very <laughs> coin flippy. Right, because yeah, yeah. if you're able to establish a good board going first and get that first knockout, you kind of like blaze ahead in the prize race. And certainly, it's possible to win in a deficit, but you're really on an uphill battle. Um, so that would be my reason not to play Arceus. It's just it's a really aggravating mirror at times. Um, so if you're going in with like a relatively straightforward build and um, you don't have any like secret trick to win the mirror. Now, certainly, and the Moltres can help with that in a way, but still very frustrating to go second in that mirror. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. You could flip the those and be in like gray spot. You know, I would gladly play Arceus mirrors all day if I knew I was going first in every game. <laughs> that's very true. Yeah, I think I went first uh, once at Indy. Okay. So well, get good, you know, maybe it wasn't. It clearly wasn't the uh, you know wasn't the deck to play. <laughs> for me at Indy. But. So I have a question in chat that I think would be interesting. Wallace in chat asks, what's the play for people who have basically no experience in this format? Uh, my answer would be one of Wimscott or Arceus, depending on kind of like your general comfort level with those style of decks. It's like if you truly have like no experience, feel like completely blind have no idea what's going on. Like, Scott's a deck that's straightforward enough and familiar enough of a strategy that you could probably just roll with it and be fine. Yeah, um, honestly, I would say Wimscott as, like, the deck that you could n- have not tested, pick up, 
round one and figure it out <laughs> yeah. in that first I series. agree. I agree. If you have like a passing understanding of the format and you feel like confident in yourself as a player, I think you could do fine with Arceus. Um, but it like really depends on like how much you've kept up with the format in general and stuff like that. Whereas when Scott, you could probably just pick it up. If you've played Pokemon at all, like the last five years, you could probably pick up with Scott and like get it. You may not, you may be not a hundred percent optimal, but you'll be close enough <laughs> that you'll be fine. Yeah, and the benefit of a deck like Wimscott, a lock deck, is that, you know, if you get the lock up often enough against the right decks and you flip enough heads on Crushing Hammer, like, you know, it, the Crushing Hammer is a great equalizer. So um, <laughs> it's true. It's, the great equalizer is definitely Crushing Hammer. It's the best deck to utilize it. So that's what I would say. Agreed, agreed. All right, JW, any other tag team tips going into Sakakis? Man. <laughs> don't think too far ahead (laughs) yeah i yeah if i were going i would just be like oh can we get astral radiance yet like this format's so stale but um yeah just i don't know don't think too far ahead agree with that i generally agree with the philosophy that like getting too far ahead just ends up getting you confused and that even goes just like your metagaming too like don't don't like get in a cyclical uh, uh, cycle, I guess, cyclical cycle of metagaming and end up lost. <laughs> that can definitely happen. That can definitely happen. We talked about this a lot, but uh, trying to go that one next step without going too far um, is a skill unto itself and something that uh, some players are really good at and other players can kind of get in their own heads because they say, oh, well, A beats C, and B beats C, but D beats A and B, but E beats c b and a and then you know you're just going down this rabbit hole and then you're like you end up not even facing a or b at all in the tournament you know and it's just don't be uh don't be in your own head about it um yeah it can it can really really um be extremely detrimental to a a successful finish and that tip is so fire that the pokemon secret police are coming for you for a second there That is one of the uh, one of the difficulties to living near a fire station. <laughs> so let's let's talk uh, card of the day then. Yeah, absolutely. So my card of the day is a card that I played in, and I think let's see, I played, Andrew played, and a few of our contingent played in the Philadelphia regionals which was 2019, I believe, or 20, 20 something, 2018, maybe early 2018. Um, An energy accelerator, a lightning type bug Pokemon. A lightning type bug accelerator Pokemon. I wonder what it could be. A fantastic partner for Tapu Bulu. That is the Vigavolt from Sun and Moon. With the strong charge ability, really didn't see too much play for its attack. Electro Cannon, 150, discard three energy from this Pokemon. Could come in handy in a pinch, but the ability was where it's at. Strong charge. Once during your turn, you may search your deck for a grass and a lightning energy and attach them to your Pokemon in any way that you like. Then shuffle your deck. We had a card called Tabu Bulu GX, and Tabu Bulu was just kind of the beat stick 
of the format. So Tapu Bulu would do, you know, X amount of damage and, and discard, yeah. yeah, discard energy, and then you could do more damage. You know, it's one of those <laughs> kind of guys. And anyway, so since you're discarding energy to do extra damage, you need some way to accelerate the energy to get the attack off in the first place, and then to replenish the energy as you were discarding it off of the Tapu Bulu. So Vigavolt was a deck that <laughs> I, you know, it was, it was okay, but we played it like we played it the tournament too late, you know, is like we had, there were, I remember during that format, there were a few regionals like in Singapore and in Asia and other places in Asia and <laughs> I know, maybe Asia multiple times. <laughs> and then there was one in Asia and then also in Asia as well. Um, no, they were just like, I'm pretty sure it was Latin America that you're thinking about. No, there was definitely one in like, Malaysia yeah, I think there was, Singapore. but the, the other one was definitely in Latin America. You're, th you're okay. thinking of like the, the buzzwell weavile garbage or right? Like that was in Latin America for sure. Gotcha. Okay. I must have been then. But anyway, we were just one weekend off where uh, the Vega Volt was like a really good strategy when everyone was thinking about, um, you know, one specific type of deck. And then they all kind of switched over to decks that were pretty good against Vega Volt. And um, it anyway, it ended up pretty badly for us as a, as a whole. I, I did fine. Andrew did fine. Ah, did he do fine? I don't remember you guys doing like. Andrew well, was like well. in contention for top eight. No way. Yeah, he was with what the Rayquaza deck. Yeah. <sighs> and I finished six and three, and I played two Gardevoirs, and I beat. <laughs> or I, beat I played three Gardevoirs, I think, and I beat two of them. <laughs> what? Vika, Vika Bulu. We didn't play Bulu, man, at Philly. Was it Vika Ray? It was Vika Ray, yeah. Uh, maybe I played a Bulu because I'm degenerate. I like think that. you played like one Bulu, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but it was still Vika Ray, and it was okay. Uh, because remember, we played the Shining Lugia. That's, that's, oh, yes, the Shining Lugia. No, your yes. problem with that deck was that we had an okay Zorark matchup, um, and you played like five Zoroarks or something. <laughs> yes, yes, I think that's and right. that's why yeah, you're you, down on the deck. <laughs> you remember the tournament better than I do. Yeah, you're so right. You're so yeah. right. Anyway, <laughs> Vigavolt is my choice for today's card of the day. Vigavolt is a good meme card. Yeah, Vigavolt has had a lot of crazy cards, to be honest. <laughs> like Vigavolt V. Let's see. There's the one that does like snipe damage. There's the one that did, oh like, yeah. Remember the one that did like 150, and you would attach the charger bugs to it. Yeah, yeah. That yeah, one was cool. cool. I like Beekable. <laughs> awesome card of the day choice. Beekable's an awesome card. And now, the card of the day is behind us. I think we have some thanking to do. We absolutely do. So, Tag Team, if you're unaware, is presented by Manscaped. Manscaped is the most elite man's men's below the waist grooming products and trust me when i say that manscaped will treat you right manscaped offers all sorts of excellent products and i'll say it again and again if you're going to these pokemon tournaments you want to be looking feeling and smelling your best and there's no better way to do that than with manscaped's products we got the shampoo the conditioner the body wash 
the underpants, in addition to all the shaving needs that you could possibly imagine. Manscaped's got you covered. And Tag Team has got you covered on Manscaped. That's right. You can use code TAGTEAM, that's T-A-G-T-E-A-M, at checkout on manscaped.com and get not only 20% off, but free shipping. So you can get 20% off and free shipping just by using the code TAGTEAM at checkout and get access to Manscaped's wonderful array of products. JW, why don't you tell us a little bit about Manscaped? Yeah, it's funny. I've actually had a few people come up uh, you know, in, in my DMs saying, hey, man, really like the Manscaped products, just got them in this week and I've been using them. And it's like, oh, sweet. Thank you so much for doing that. Um, and thank you for telling me so that I can say it on the cast. But uh, yeah, if you don't have your own Manscaped um, you know, shaver, would recommend. It's my first electric shaver and I cannot go back. If you are a person that, you know, maybe about to turn 30 or perhaps you've already turned 30 um, and you get a lot of ear and nose hair, like me, ear and nose hair trimmer, also a really great product. We love their boxers, deodorant, smelling fresh. I mean, really anything that you can think of to uh, take care of your hygiene. Manscaped's got you covered. So I would just suggest, you know, you don't have to buy anything, but checking out what they offer over at manscaped.com, you know, and just see, just see. And if you see something that you like, we've tried basically every product that they have and can vouch in a positive way for any of them. So Absolutely. there is a lot to like from Manscaped. So check it out, manscaped.com. You get 20% off plus free shipping if you use our code tag team, 20% off plus free shipping with code tag team. Yeah, W said it best. We really... We pursue this sponsorship because we genuinely enjoy and support their products. So definitely check them out and let us know what you think. Make sure to evolve your grubbin into a Vicavolt. Thanks to Manscaped. JW, this brings us to our last segment for today. And that's one that's come up on us. It's a little sneaky, sneaky uh, little come up. And that's Astral Radiance. You know, Astral Radiance... (laughs) As we're recording this, there's a pre-release event going on at Full Grip Games, maybe wrapping up at this point in the day. And Astral is literally coming to TCGO next week. It's, uh, it's a little crazy. I was not mentally prepared for it coming so soon. Um, yeah. yeah. I guess so it, I mean, for... it's not soon, but, you know, in the grand scheme of things, but it feels like it's not ready yet. So Yeah, for those, for those that do want a breakdown of when they should expect astral radiance to be on pcgo tuesday may 24th is when the client will go down for the three hour maintenance period and then come back up at 12 p.m pacific time so that's presumably when astral radiance will be available to redeem codes and open packs will be on tuesday and then on friday is when you'll be able to Uh, You know, they usually have kind of a grace period for when you can upload codes versus when you can um, use coins in the game to buy packs. So on Friday, May 27th, that's when you'll be able to use uh, redeem the booster packs, use your coins in the game to uh, to to get those Astral Radiance packs. They'll also show up in tournaments on that Friday as well. So if you're one of those ticket hoarders that waits to play all the tournaments when the new set comes out. That's That'll me. be your day, May 27th. <laughs> me for sure. <laughs> so, JW, 
I know we're both super excited to get our hands on Astral Radiance and be testing for the Milwaukee Regional Championship. We're going to do tons more coverage over Astral Radiance in the coming weeks. You can expect our kind of top 10 cars that we typically do next week. But I wanted to take a look this week at what is the number one kind of card or archetype or deck that you're most excited to try out and play heading into Astral Radiance. Our first, very first impression, uh, kind of gut reaction take. So, JW, what is that for you? What is the thing that you're most excited to get your hands on? Yeah, it's easily Palkia V-Star. Palkia V-Star has a very similar attack to the Suicune V deck that we've seen. You know, Suicune V does more damage based on the amount of bench Pokemon on both player sides, similar to Palkia, but Palkia does a little bit more damage. So it's, you know, presumably a little bit more um, easily able to take those knockouts on opponents V Pokemon. So it does a 60 base plus 20 for each bench. And then it also has uh, probably the most notable part of the card is the ability that allows you to attach up to three water energy from your discard pile to any water Pokemon in any way that you'd like. So this is just like Arceus's Trinity Nova attack. This ability is just one of those consistency boosting abilities that should help the deck get going even after a rough start or put on a lot more pressure, um, you know, in the mid game, if, you know, they need some burst of, uh, of energy. Yeah. And I, I think that's a really valuable part of the card. Obviously the attack is super good. The HP is super good, but being able to kind of like skip a Melanie and go for a boss or a research or a Marnie is super, super nice. And, I'll be curious to see like how these Palkia builds kind of develop over the course of the format. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out this the like best side attacker for the for the deck. I mean, people have been playing it with Starmie V is a card. Um that v is pe- a card. <laughs> yeah. That people are, you know, trying to figure it out with. Um Suicune V, you could play it alongside the Palkia. I don't think that that's really necessary. You probably just play a four three Palkia line and call it good. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm trying to figure out that kind of alternate attack, or maybe it's an ice rider, you know, something like that. So filthy ice rider. Absolutely. Riley, what are you excited about from Astro radiance? Yeah, I kind of have like a meme answer and a real answer. So, um, although Palkia is definitely up there for me as well. I won't repeat that. Um, the meme answer is dark ride V star. I really want that card to be good. You know, I've talked on the cast before, uh, about how much I enjoy like those turbo dark decks. They're so fun and uh, just a blast to like power through your deck, get as many energy into play as possible. I just <laughs> don't think the surrounding cards are really there for Dark Rive Star to like pop off in the way that it needs to. But mm-hmm. I'm definitely excited to try. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know, even if it ends up not working, I want to be able to say that I tried. Uh, well, so that's a- what about? What about the uh, Galarian Wheezing? Yeah, like, that's not going to work, man. That's so much. Well, what do you mean it's not going to work? You know, you just do, like, a like a 1-1 one, one line. But you also need to play the other Wheezing. Do, do you need... No, 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 I'm saying the Galarian Wheezing with the Energy Factory. Yeah, that only doubles energy on Wheezing. Yeah, so... So you you just put all your energy on the Wheezing. 
Does it count for Galarian Weezings? I thought it only did it for regular Weezing. No, they have Weezing in their names. So. Okay, okay. Well, that's it's still probably not good, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's better than I thought it was. Um, there you go. So that's there a dub. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think the Dark Ride deck is probably going to end up like kind of a mess, but gosh, I want it to be good. Like, I know, it just feels like one of those decks that's just on the verge of being good. If it but... had Max Elixir, it would be broken. <laughs> but even then, I don't know, man. It's just like a lot of things that you're trying to fit in, right? Because you're trying to fit in the Dark Patch, you're trying to fit in the, the evolution line, the it's evolution line, and then all the support Pokemon. I don't know. No, man. I think it would be broken with Max Elixir for sure. Uh, but regardless, I mean, Max Elixir is a card that we don't want to see reprinted <laughs> over a tag team. Maybe you feel differently, JW, but I'm going to speak for us both and say Max Elixir is probably better off in Expanded where it belongs uh, and not in Standard. So the actual next card that I'm excited for that isn't Palkia is Samurott, I think is really cool. Another dark type attacker hits for that 220 damage if your opponent's Pokemon is already damaged. Uh, which you can do really easily with cards like Zigzagoon and Inteleon, um, mm-hmm. and its own V-Star ability, which places four damage counters on the opponent's active Pokemon. So with the combination of your ability and a choice belt, you're doing 290 damage to the active Pokemon, which, if you've been keeping up with the format, is enough damage to knock out an Arceus V-Star in the active position, at least without a big charm on it. So... What I like about the Samurott deck is it's super kind of like low maintenance. It's got two basic energy required to use its attack. can easily power it up with a dark patch if you need to. And it swings for decent damage, like very reliably. So it's kind of like a bully deck almost, you know. We talk about like the Arceus getting the turn two, kind of 220 for knockout on a V. I mean, the Samurott could do that super easy, Right, you just need two basic energy to do that, and literally nothing else, and you can accomplish that feat. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Do you think though that Samurott has the potential to dethrone Arceus or or compete with Arceus? Even like, I am just a little dethrone. No, I mean Arceus is insane, right? But uh huh, I think it. I think it could maybe compete. Honestly, I think one of the weird things about Samurott that I don't see anybody talking about is uh, the Fusion Strike energy prevents the effects of abilities. Right. So, <laughs> so if something's immune to abilities, but Samurott actually can't knock out a Mew if there's not already damage counters on it. <laughs> <laughs> which seems like you very... had to like two hit KO MU, which is awkward because you're a dark, dark Pokemon, Pokemon anyway. Yeah, which seems like super super cringe, and that's like honestly that alone might be like too much for me to like really want Samrod. But I'm like, I mean, yeah. do you think do you, how much of a big you know how much of a quantity is is Mew gonna be though post rotation? Post rotation, I don't know, but or not sorry, not post rotation, <laughs> but po- post Astro Radiance is what I mean. Never write off Mew, bro. Never write off. Add the trekking shoes. <laughs> Get the Tims in there. Yeah, bro. <laughs> so those are cards I'm excited for. Um, I think Palkia is probably going to be the kind of standout V star from this set. But you know, happy to be proven wrong as well. I always love it when something new and interesting comes out that we don't always expect. Very cool. So that kind of brings us to a close for today. Like we said, we'll cover 
Astral Radiance top 10 next week here. So make sure to follow us on our socials so you know when that drops. You can find us on Twitter at Smiles with Riles for myself, at Real John Walter for JW, and at Tag Team Pokemon for the cast itself. And if you're really interested in hearing more about the cast, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcasting platforms. And if you're really feeling motivated, please do leave a rate and review. We all talk about the mythical algorithms on these social media platforms, and it really does mean a lot. It boosts up there so we get noticed more, so we can continue to put out more and better content for you all to listen to. I think that wraps us up for this week. Absolutely. Thank you guys all so much for listening. We'll catch you on the next one. Absolutely. We'll see you next time. Peace. See ya.